Listener discretion is advised. This episode features discussions of murder, medical malpractice, mental health conditions, and assault that may be upsetting. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13. All medical professionals face uphill battles finding a work-life balance, but not all are able to achieve it. The result? Burnout. While this condition manifests for most as short-term fatigue and irritability, for Victorino Chua, it was grounds for murder. As a nurse in the United Kingdom during the 2000s, Chua supported his wife, daughters, and a deepening drug addiction for a decade before he snapped. Ultimately, his failure to get necessary help likely contributed to the deaths of multiple individuals. The victims of Victorino Chua aren't the first to die by the hand of an overworked nurse, but they are evidence that permanent evils can be committed when temporary afflictions reign king. This is Medical Murders, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every year, thousands of medical students take the Hippocratic Oath it boils down to do no harm, but a closer look reveals a phrase much more interesting. I must not play at God. However, some doctors break that oath. They choose to play God with their patients, deciding who lives and who dies. Each week on Medical Murders, we'll investigate those who decided to kill. We'll explore the specifics of how they operate, not just on their patients, but within their own minds, examining the psychology and neurology behind heartless medical killers. I'm Alastair Murden, and I'm joined by Dr. David Kipper, MD. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Kipper, and looking forward to offering Alistair some medical insight into our newest case of Victorino Chua, a nurse who had his own ideas about how best to treat his patients. You can find episodes of Medical Murders and all other podcast shows for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Medical Murders for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Medical Murders in the search bar. Today, we're discussing Victorino Chua, a contemporary serial killer who poisoned over 20 hospital patients in Northern England. Through his winding journey from the Philippines to the UK, Chua repeatedly exhibited an unchecked affinity for crime. And when put under pressure, it manifested into the 2011 Stepping Hill Hospital poisoning incident. All this and more coming up. Stay with us. If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. The National Women's Soccer League kicks off March 16th on ION. Our 
Brenta Williams. It's a new Saturday night destination featuring the best players in the world. See the full schedule and find where to watch at IonNWSL.com. Victorino Chua was born on October 30th, 1965 in the Philippines. The third of six children, Chua knew all too well what it meant to be a forgotten middle child. It wasn't just that he was overlooked within his family. His siblings received the short end of the stick too. Their father, Angel Noblo Chua Sr., had his attention on three other marriages outside of the one he shared with Victorino's mother, Juanita. With each of those wives, Angel had other children as well. And while he may have had enough money to support his four families, he wasn't so generous in giving them his time, a fact Victorino resented. Unfortunately, Chua didn't seem to like his mother, Juanaita, very much either. Allegedly, like Chua's father, Juanaita was rarely around to take care of her children. As Chua once recalled later on, his parents left them like animals. It was likely that sense of abandonment in early childhood that led him to recklessness in adolescence. In high school, Chua indulged in drugs and alcohol, forming bad habits that would follow him. But at the time, Chua wasn't thinking much of his future. His grandmother, on the other hand, was. And as Chua's primary caretaker, she made a concerted effort to urge Chua towards a prestigious profession in the medical industry. Chua wasn't keen on being a nurse but his grandmother reportedly promised him that if he got his nursing certification, she would pay for him to get a doctoral degree. The latter appealed to Chua far more. Initially, Chua shrugged off the offer. But in 1986, when Chua was just 21, it's said that he watched his father suffer a heart attack and die. It wasn't a great emotional grief as much as it was a mental awakening. His father had been a successful breadwinner for the family as a manager for a computer business. Now, Chua felt the need to establish a lucrative career for himself, and he wanted to do even better than his father had done. Persuaded by his grandmother's suggestion, Chua pursued nursing at the Metropolitan Medical Center in Manila. It was no small decision. The facility was well-respected within the country. Its high standard of care combined with low service costs made it an ideal destination for medical tourism. Medical tourism describes a phenomenon of traveling abroad to receive medical treatment. Traditionally, those in less developed countries travel to highly developed countries for treatment unavailable in their nation, but recently we're seeing a shift in the opposite direction. There are a few reasons for this. One is the high cost of healthcare in the developed world, with many medical interventions costing much less abroad. There's also the issue of health insurance, which doesn't always cover the costs of surgeries or operations that may be cheaper in other countries. Another reason for this trend is that underdeveloped countries often have shorter wait times for many healthcare procedures. People also make these journeys because certain therapies or drugs they want aren't yet approved at home. 
However, this approach to finding care doesn't come without its negatives. Medical tourism can affect the treatment that those native to high tourism regions receive. Because doctors in these countries are steadily becoming busier with foreign patients, native patients are having trouble getting adequate health care. Also, this nuance further exacerbates economic class divisions in these countries in regards to equitable medical treatment. However, medical tourism does seem like an unfortunate inevitability at this point, and it's no wonder that many people turn to it for more affordable and alternative forms of care. For many in the U.S., the Metropolitan Medical Center in the Philippines was likely seen as an ideal institution for otherwise costly procedures. But while Americans may have found its medical costs low compared to what they would pay back at home, locals still considered the place pricey. With high demand for its services and educational offerings, the facility charged exorbitant fees for schooling. Unfortunately for Chua, these costs were simply too high for him to stick around. So, Chua enrolled at the less prestigious Galong Medical Center in Manila. One UK newspaper once described the institution as dilapidated. Nevertheless, Chua took his studies there in stride. It helped that, coming from the more esteemed Metropolitan Medical Center, he seemed to have a leg up on his new classmates. While his pride may have initially been bruised by the transfer, he was able to feel like a big fish in a small pond at Galong. His days were long, but he managed to tend to multiple facets of his life. Every day at 4 a.m., he rose to give his grandmother a bath. Then he headed off to his courses, never arriving home before 7 p.m. Despite the rigorous lifestyle, Chua made friends with doctors and convinced them to provide free healthcare to his family members. As far as Chua was concerned, he was successfully replacing his father. In what little downtime Chua did have, he got a side hustle running errands for a wealthy student. One of those errands required Chua to score illegal drugs for his classmate. The task taught Chua how to make some quick cash which he eagerly spent on designer clothes. This was Chua's way of fitting the mold of elite society, a group of people he idolized. After a year's worth of diligent study and daily grinds, Chua was required to take a competency test and passed. He could become a nurse. But this achievement is vehemently disputed as three different versions of his medical school records were later found. On one of them, a clear photograph of a young man who wasn't Chua, meaning Chua likely paid another student to take his qualification exam for him. Chua's credentials were more than likely bogus. Today, such licensing discrepancies are nearly impossible. In order to become a registered nurse in the United States, for example, students must graduate from an accredited program, pass a standardized exam called the NCLAX-RN exam, and obtain a state license. This ensures that a prospective nurse has all the knowledge they need to do their job correctly, and in today's world, it would be hard to forge these credentials. 
Chua might have been able to successfully fake his qualifications because the Galong Medical Center apparently wasn't up to par with competing hospitals. It's possible that their college program didn't do their due diligence in verifying Chua's competency test. He could have had another student take his exam, or he could have forged his records. This also probably would have been easier during a time when documentation was largely physical and not so computer-based. He also might have managed to present well with his attitude and designer clothes, manipulating those around him into feeling he was an impressive and bona fide character. It's actually not so uncommon for people to falsify medical credentials, and I've seen this personally. I had a friend who was engaged to a psychiatrist, and her wealthy father grew suspicious of this guy's professional legitimacy. A little homework from dad, and the wedding was off, and the imposter psychiatrist was on his way to jail. This is considered fraud, and a criminal act that could result in harsh jail time, depending on the severity of circumstances. This is a pretty crazy thing to do, and if Chua did in fact counterfeit his qualifications, he had no concern about consequences. However he got there, Chua received a Bachelor of Science in Nursing from the Galong Medical Center College of Nursing in 1989. At 24 years old, he was now a registered nurse. Details of this next period of his life are sparse. In the 1990s, he worked as a nurse, obtaining jobs at medical centers in Manila. Still, the cash flow wasn't what he'd hoped it would be. To supplement this, it seems Chua continued his college hustle. He allegedly made extra money on the side by selling stolen healthcare products, clothes, and electronics. In Chua's mind, he was a modern Filipino Robin Hood, stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. More than that, Chua saw himself as the dashing romantic lead of his own life. At one point, he journaled about his escapades juggling interest from multiple female colleagues. From his reflections, it's clear that Chua enjoyed showy gestures and saw himself as nothing short of a hero. One love interest, Marianne, certainly enjoyed his bravado, and Chua shared her affections. In 1996, 30-year-old Chua and Marianne were married in a civil union. In the years that followed, they had two daughters. But his new persona as a family man did little to dissuade Chua from his backhanded dealings. He kept up his habit of stealing and was eventually fired from his nursing job. Chua blames the termination on union issues, though his alleged theft of about 1,070 Philippine pesos from the hospital, or nearly $30 at the time, was more likely. Down on his luck, Chua took a surprising turn with his career. He became a car salesman. But Chua quickly learned he'd made a bad decision. In yet another 180-degree pivot, 36-year-old Chua sought work as a nurse yet again in 2002. This time, he got hired by a nursing home in Warrington, a large town in northwest England. This job required him to relocate himself and his family, but it wasn't a hard decision for Chua. 
he'd been struggling to get by on his nursing salary in the Philippines, his new job ensured that he'd be making significantly more. It also allowed him to obtain a two-year work permit. Chua may have thought he was making meaningful changes in his life for the better. He had an opportunity to start fresh, to leave behind the demons of his past and stay on the straight and narrow. In Britain, he could become a brand new person. Unfortunately, the new person he chose to become was a murderer. Coming up, Victorino Chua baffles police with a bizarre killing spree. Hi listeners, it's Vanessa from Parcast. When you think of a criminal, do you picture a killer, a gangster, a thief? I bet you didn't think it could be the little old lady down the street who murdered her tenants. Every Wednesday on my series, Female Criminals, meet the unlikeliest of felons, mothers, neighbors, and unsuspecting lovers with a penchant for dangerous behavior. Discover the psychology and motives behind their disturbing crimes and find out where their story stands today. But that's not all. Airing right now on Female Criminals is our special five-part look at the world's most infamous femme fatales, women who were deceptive and deadly, but not always the villain. Catch these episodes and more by following the Spotify original from Parcast, Female Criminals. New episodes premiere weekly. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Viore. Give the active people in your life something they'll truly appreciate. Performance apparel from Viore. Whether they're into running, surfing, hiking, or even just casual walks around the block, there's something for everyone. And if you're not sure what to gift them, you can't go wrong with something from Viore's Dream Knit collection. It's the perfect gift and so comfortable. Get 20% off your first purchase today at Viore. V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Spotify. Now, back to the story. In February 2002, 36-year-old Victorino Chua moved himself and his family from the Philippines to England seeking a fresh start. During his rough-and-tumble life, he'd stolen from hospitals he'd worked at, sold illicit drugs, and likely cheated on his nursing exams. And while England gave him a clean slate, Chua found that old habits die hard. In the years that followed his big move to the United Kingdom, it's believed Chua stole drugs from the nursing home where he worked, likely for his own personal use. His early life dealing illicit substances had fostered secret addictions that Chua hid quite effectively. Drugs helped him escape his waking reality, where his home and work life felt equally unmanageable. But stolen painkillers were only a temporary solution. Just three years into the job, at the end of 2005, Chua pursued work elsewhere. Though it's unclear why he left, it's possible Chua got caught stealing medication or engaging in some other form of petty theft towards hospital patients. Regardless, the nursing home provided him with a letter of recommendation to other prospective employers. Though, like his test scores, its validity remains unconfirmed. In 2008, 
Chua was working as a nurse in Stockport, England, where conflict arose when he berated a colleague. The debacle landed him in a disciplinary hearing. He embellished a testimonial to save his neck, but ultimately, he left the job on unpleasant terms. His next job, however, would go far worse. On June 1st, 2009, Chua became a member of the nursing staff at Stepping Hill Hospital, also in Stockport. Today, with a staff of over 5,700, Stepping Hill treats some half a million patients each year. At the time Chua was hired, the facility's recruitment team relied on the judgment of the UK's Nursing and Midwifery Council, or NMC, when evaluating the credentials of international applicants. Officials from the NMC had previously reviewed Chua's passport, work history, and qualifications, and found no red flags. While he may have withheld information about disciplinary action he had received while working as a nurse in the Philippines, the NMC concluded that Chua had provided the correct certificates and evidence of training. They added him to their register of nurses after he supplied them with his papers in 2003, and, as a result, he was able to work at Stepping Hill in 2009. In the US, the Board of Registered Nursing encourages clinical agencies and nursing programs to work together in establishing policies that are unrestrictive while still protecting the rights of patients. The interview process for a registered nurse mainly takes a behavioral-based approach. Employers want to get a sense of how a nurse will perform on the job, what their motivation is for nursing, and what their general disposition and personality are like. In addition to these interviews, hospitals require a series of qualification markers before hiring. These include checks on credentials, licensing, residency completion, and specific certifications. There's also a reference check, which is meant to verify their training and work history with previous employers. Generally, they screen for any imposed medical sanctions, a criminal background, social security validity, and motor vehicle or driver records. The UK's nursing and midwifery program might not have seen Chua's nefarious history of theft during their background check for many reasons. Maybe because of the increasing demand for nurses throughout the country, background checks at the time were performed more superficially, and copies of documents were accepted in place of originals. Whatever the case, Chua's criminal past was effectively overlooked. But his legal records weren't the only issue the nursing council missed. It seems they also failed to adequately assess Chua's mental health. In 2010, about one year into his employment at Stepping Hill, Chua underwent counseling for depression. His spiral had likely been sparked by a dependence on drugs, which he'd nursed throughout the preceding decade. He also took sleeping pills and painkillers for knee and back pain. But the counseling wasn't enough, because Chua didn't change anything about his life. He persisted in his unhealthy habits, wasting away in his job. On top of this, his relationships with his wife and daughters were strained. In 2011, two years into his employment at Stepping Hill Hospital, Chua snapped. 
On July 7, 2011, 44-year-old mother of two Tracy Arden was admitted to Stepping Hill Hospital with a mild chest infection. Staff assumed the woman, who had been battling multiple sclerosis since the age of 32, would recover and leave the facility in no time. However, in the privacy of Arden's treatment room, Chua secretly contaminated Arden's saline drip with insulin. Intravenous therapy is a medical technique whereby liquids are delivered directly into a person's vein. The most commonly used liquid is normal saline, a sodium chloride solution which is used as a fluid replacement. Insulin delivered via a drip poses more danger than insulin administered via a shot into the body's muscle. Insulin, which is produced by the pancreas, works by allowing our cells to convert glucose or sugar into energy. This energy is what allows tissues and organs to function properly. Diabetics are given insulin either because they can't make it at all, these are the type 1 diabetics, or produce an insufficient amount known as type 2 diabetes. The risk of giving a non-diabetic insulin, Alistair, is inducing hypoglycemia, which is when normal blood sugar levels become dangerously low. This can cause hypoglycemic shock, sometimes called insulin shock, where the brain eventually stops getting the glucose it needs to function, leading to coma or death. An IV administration would create this reaction very acutely. The kind of IV tampering Chua engaged in is very dangerous for a number of reasons. Any substance going directly and continuously into the bloodstream needs to be very carefully doled out and strictly monitored. The effects of Arden's insulin dosing likely set in very quickly. Chua's actions plunged Tracy Arden's sugar levels fatally low and caused her to go into hypoglycemic shock. Within the hour, Arden was dead. Despite the sudden death, no one suspected Chua had engaged in foul play. Unnoticed, Chua struck again later that July. 83-year-old Alfred Weaver had been admitted to Stepping Hill for a chest infection earlier that month. Like with Arden, Chua poisoned Weaver by adding insulin to his saline drip and sending him into hypoglycemic shock. Ten days later, Weaver was dead. Around that time, at least four more male patients at the hospital suffered hypoglycemic attacks, despite the fact that only one was diabetic. All were victims of Chua's insulin overdoses. But somehow, the hospital failed to investigate the alarming similarities in the deaths. Chua escalated his unchecked rampage. Not content with murdering only his own patients, he injected insulin into sealed drug vials known as ampoules. This forced unknowing nurses to administer the insulin spike drug mix to their patients. Daphne Harlow, age 86, had been admitted to Stepping Hill Hospital after suffering a fall and had no history of diabetes. Within a day of her admission, she experienced a severe hypoglycemic attack. Zubia Aslam, age 24, suffered a similar unexpected attack. Neither were patients of Chua. 
Zubia's ampoule was later examined and found to contain high amounts of a human insulin analog. Today, human insulin analogs can be manufactured by recombinant DNA technology, while naturally harvested insulin can be collected from the pancreas of pigs or cows. An overdose or an unnecessary administration of either one of these types of insulin can be deadly. But the pig and cow derivatives tend to be more unreliable and less predictable. In the U.S., cow insulin hasn't been available since 1998, and pig insulin was discontinued in 2006. Although there wasn't an FDA ban on these, it was determined that these insulins are generally less effective because the body recognizes them as foreign, which negatively affects absorption. Even though you can still get naturally harvested insulins in other countries, the analogs seem to work better because they mimic human insulin more precisely. It obviously depends on the amount, but it would probably be more dangerous to overdose someone with the analog insulin in comparison to the natural animal insulin. This is because it would be better absorbed and less rejected by the body. However, as you know, any exogenous form of insulin is dangerous for non-diabetics with normal blood sugar levels. It most likely wouldn't have been difficult for Chua to access either one if Stepping Hill Hospital carried both kinds. Maybe he chose the human analog because there was more of it and he wanted to avoid suspicion. Or maybe he knew it would provide a more predictable outcome. I can't say for sure why he chose one over the other, but he likely knew that both were potentially life-threatening. And since Stepping Hill seemingly gave unfettered insulin access to their nurses, Chua kept injecting saline bags with insulin, tricking his colleagues into poisoning their patients on his behalf. But they wouldn't be deceived for much longer. Chaos broke out across Stepping Hill Hospital as doctors and nurses scrambled to save the large numbers of patients who were inexplicably going into hypoglycemic shock. On July 12th, one nurse discovered several saline bags that were leaking, clear evidence they had been contaminated. Hospital staff quickly tested the ampoules and found insulin. Hospital staff called law enforcement and an investigation was promptly launched. A forensic scientist found that a small V-shaped hole had been cut into the rubber resealable connector, typically found at the bottom edge of saline bags. Additionally, two puncture holes were found in the inner membrane of the bag, which appeared to be made by a hypodermic needle. Further testing showed that a glucose bag, saline bag, and an antibiotic bag also had needle puncture holes, while another saline bag had been contaminated with a local anesthetic called lidocaine. Greater Manchester Police leapt into action, officially titling their multi-million dollar detective work on the poisonings Operation Roxburgh. Preliminary measures included strong suggestions that the hospital staff change their security policy. The police also set up CCTV cameras at the entrances and exits to wards. Meanwhile, investigators examined the medical records and blood samples associated with all hypoglycemic attacks at the hospital. 
They cross-reference the dates of the attacks with the work shifts of thousands of hospital staff. On July 20, 2011, one week after madness had taken over the medical facility, police felt confident enough to make an arrest. Unfortunately, they nabbed the wrong person. Nurse Rebecca Layton had worked at one of the affected hospital wards during the poisonings. Forensic tests suggested that she had handled several contaminated IV products. So Layton was charged with criminal damage with intent to endanger life. The press quickly dubbed her the Angel of Death and published photos taken off her Facebook page. She spent six weeks in prison before Detective Sergeant Simon Baraclough realized Layton was innocent, saying, The evidence proved not to be the evidence we expected it to be. The fact is, Rebecca Layton didn't do this. It seems there were victims who were poisoned or died while Layton was not on duty. Without substantial evidence to keep her jailed, the case against Layton was dropped. Though Layton was free from the law, she was fired from Stepping Hill after she admitted to stealing drugs and medicine. Later, she sued the Greater Manchester Police for breach of privacy and negligence in allegedly leaking her name to the press. But while Leighton's fate was not so bright, Chua had gone unscathed. A more sensible person might have learned their lesson, but then a more sensible person wouldn't have become a murderer in the first place. Five months after Leighton's release, Chua struck again. And this time, he wouldn't get away so easily. Coming up, the law catches up to Victorino Chua. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Bin Verified. Help chip away at the uncertainty that comes with online dating and use binverified.com, a leading platform for online background searches and people search reports. With their powerful search tools and extensive database, you could easily gather information about potential dates, which may help you find peace of mind before taking that next step. You can never be too safe when it comes to dating. Get 20% off today to help take control of your dating game. Visit binverified.com slash podcast. Now, back to the story. In 2011, Victorino Chua tampered with multiple saline bags administered to patients at Stepping Hill Hospital in Greater Manchester, England, poisoning a confirmed 22 patients. Two of them died. Police initially arrested the wrong person, but they weren't about to give up the chase. At the beginning of January 2012, Chua was working the night shift at the A3 ward of the hospital when he got into an argument with an elderly patient's daughter. When she forced Chua to procure a heart monitor for her mother, Chua angrily threw it on a table. 
The next morning, staff discovered that the patient's prescription chart had been altered. Taking a closer look, nurses noticed that the charts of five other female patients aged 79 to 92 had been tampered with. Crude alterations had been made to the prescribed dosages of drugs. Doses were doubled or even tripled, and in one case, a new drug was added, which could have caused a heart attack. Thankfully, the intended victims survived with no significant harm. A medical chart can contain demographics, vital signs, diagnosis, treatment plans, radiology images, and more, and it helps physicians know what each patient needs. Tampering with medical charts isn't a common issue in hospitals, Alistair, but the systems in place to prevent it aren't always totally optimal. Charts have gradually been becoming more computer-based, which provides some extra security with data entry and editing, while allowing for easier information sharing. Electronic record-keeping also eliminates the problem of trying to read a doctor's handwriting. These cyber databases require extra levels of authorization, safeguarding against improper chart-altering possibilities. However, many hospitals still use physical records, which potentiates this risk. Some red flags that might indicate tampering could be dramatic dose changes in medications, crossed-out entries, different handwriting, and missing documentation of important health markers. Chua's attempt to change patient charts was definitely less sophisticated than his poisonings, but arguably just as dangerous. While Chua brazenly continued to endanger patients at Stepping Hill, police were still investigating the original spate of poisonings. At one point, over 100 detectives were working on the case, and due to the randomness of the murders, they cast a wide net. During the fall of 2011, 1,177 people were interviewed. Police obtained 3,291 statements, 5,394 items were ultimately exhibited at the trial, and the prosecution file grew to over 30,000 pages long. Investigators eliminated suspects one by one until only Chua was left. They dispatched a team to the Philippines and turned up his criminal past. On January 5, 2012, Victorino Chua was arrested at his home in Stockport, England. Chua's neighbors were stunned. One described him as a very nice man, always more concerned with how other people were rather than himself, a gentle, caring man. Another neighbor remarked, you don't think anybody like that could be a mass murderer? There was absolutely nothing there to suggest anything odd about him. Meanwhile, a colleague at the hospital said, His attitude is really good, really gentle. I have not seen him lose his temper with staff or patients. However, she also noted that she'd heard rumors that Chua was being bullied. Still, the poisonings and tampering promptly stopped. Justice, however, would take a bit longer to come. A few days after Chua's arrest, he was released on bail. 
He was not initially charged, as it was common practice in the United Kingdom for suspects to be released on bail as police continued an investigation. Chua could not, of course, continue to work at the hospital, but he was permitted to live at home and leave it as he pleased. While out on bail, he attempted to clear his name in the media. Chua invited BBC correspondent Ed Thomas into his home. Naturally, Thomas accepted, curious what Chua could possibly have to say in his defense. Chua told Thomas he wanted to walk into Stepping Hill Hospital with a placard around his neck that read, I'm Victorino Chua, accused of poisoning patients. Thomas later reflected on the interview, recalling that Chua never once said he didn't kill the patients. Instead, Chua spoke of his own struggle with suicidal thoughts and injustice. It seemed Chua was far too gone in his own victimhood to believe his wrongdoing was unjustified or worth denying. In March 2014, police agreed Chua's crimes were undeniable and rearrested him. This time, 48-year-old Victorino Chua was charged with the murders of Tracy Arden, Alfred Weaver, and Arnold Lancaster. He was also charged with 31 other offenses, including causing grievous bodily harm and attempted poisoning. The court proceedings lasted three months, and at no point did Chua's motive ever become clear. The only hint came from a letter he'd written but never sent, found by police while searching his home. Chua wrote the 13-page letter back in June 2010 at the suggestion of a therapist. In it, he admitted that he had deceived his friends and colleagues, believing he was an angel that had turned into a devil. When police questioned him about the letter, Chua said that he'd written it to a girlfriend he'd had an extramarital affair with, trying to explain his confessional tone but it was clearly about his murders. Prosecutors suggested that Chua took out his personal frustration on patients for reasons truly known only to himself. Queen's counsel, or the chief lawyer presiding over the prosecution, Peter Wright, summed up the mystery. What may lead an otherwise caring, unassuming, and conscientious nurse to act as we say he did is impossible to fathom. Chua tried to blame burnout, saying, I'm the only one working 66 hours a week. But there was damning evidence suggesting Chua was fully aware of his actions when he committed them. A blood sample Chua took from Grant Missell, one of the 22 patients who had been poisoned, indicated the man was deep in a hypoglycemic coma. After taking Missell's blood sample, Chua recorded him as being responsive and alert. This reveals that Chua's murders were no accident. After a three-month trial, Chua was found guilty of murdering Tracy Arden and Alfred Weaver, as well as guilty of 22 counts of attempted grievous bodily harm, one count of grievous bodily harm, seven attempts of administering poison, and one count of administering poison. 
He was cleared of murdering Arnold Lancaster as it was found that Lancaster had actually succumbed to cancer. But Chua was still convicted of attempting to cause him grievous bodily harm by poisoning. Chua showed no emotion when he was given 25 life sentences. He won't be eligible for parole until he's 84 years old in 2049. In response to Chua's senseless killing, the United Kingdom's NMC launched a review of nurses who trained outside Europe, including 11,500 from the Philippines. Of the many thousands reviewed, only four were found to have fraudulent qualifications. Victorino Chua was truly an aberration. It's important to remember that Victorina Chua was an outlier. The vast majority of the thousands of nurses who come from overseas are just as compassionate, hardworking, and ethical as anyone else. I personally trained with and learned from some amazing nurses from other countries, especially the Philippines. Chua's troubling story seems to be the result of a traumatic childhood, ongoing drug abuse, and a predisposition to mental instability. While most nurses demonstrate a passion for their work, it seems like his primary goal was besting the relative success of his father. Without an inherent desire to care for suffering people, it's not surprising at all that his demanding work as a nurse contributed to his derailment. This episode emphasizes the importance of secure record-keeping in hospitals and how medical charts need to be universally secured and privileged. It also illustrates how no system, no matter how thorough or stringent, can completely eliminate the possibility of an apparently caring person suddenly deciding to do harm. We don't know why Chua decided to kill, and it's extremely unlikely that we ever will. What can be said is that true evil persists when injustices go unchecked. Had Chua been held liable for his early life of crime, he might have been stopped far sooner. Medical intervention for his outstanding mental health issues may have also prevented his vile murders. But ultimately, neither of these outcomes were realized. And those who died by Chua's hand are sadly gone forever. Thanks for listening to Medical Murders, and thanks again to Dr. Kipper for joining me today. Thank you, Alistair. You can find all episodes of Medical Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast shows, like Medical Murders, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Medical Murders on Spotify, just open the app and type Medical Murders in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Medical Murders is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Kristen Acevedo, Jonathan Cohen, Alexandra Chikvadotir, and Joshua Kern. 
This episode of Medical Murders was written by Devin Hughes, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Chelsea Wood. Medical Murders stars Dr. David Kipper and Alastair Murden. Thank you.